0: Planes filled with precious cargo prepared for takeoff this morning. Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote
1: Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote Immunity continues flights to 31 Nisnabiaski Nation flying communities to vaccinate adults.
0: The vaccination, however, cannot roll out to replace the vast disparities to healthcare access for the people that people face, but Operation Remote Immunity is a move in the right directions. If you live in Ontario, you've probably heard of Operation Remote Immunity, or as we call it, ORI. Launched on February 1st, 2021, ORI offers residents in remote Indigenous communities access to the Moderna vaccine. Recognizing the critical importance of engaging Indigenous leadership in how vaccines are offered to their communities, ORI was co-developed through a partnership with the Nabe Nish- Ashke Nation. Vaccination teams under the direction of Orange have traveled to 31 northern remote NAN communities and Musini to administer the vaccine to residents who wish to receive it. As of April 6th, 2021, more than 24,800 doses have been administered. My name is Rachel Scott. Welcome to Orange Pulse. During this episode, we wanted to learn about the importance of Operation Remote Immunity and how the implementation of vaccines to northern communities is a priority. To learn a bit more, I sat down with Lynn Innes. My name is Lynn Innes,
2: and I'm the President and CEO of Winnebago Area Health Authority. So, Winnebago Area Health Authority is our healthcare system along the James and Hudson Bay Coast providing services. To all six remote communities, um, and that being from pre hospital care, emergency care,
0: acute care, uh, and primary care. Lynn is from Moose Factory, which helps give her even more insight into the needs of the community.
2: I'm originally from Moose Factory. I was born in Moose Factory in the hospital that I work in and raised in Moosonee. E. I left uh, just for. Uh, post-secondary education. So I am a nurse practitioner. So once I was done my nurse practitioner program, I then came home uh, to Moosonee to work as a nurse practitioner in primary care and to raise uh, my family. I have three small children, um, all of which are very active and, and love northern living.
0: So can you tell me a bit about the physical location sites that Winnebago supports?
2: So our main site is located in Moose Factory Island. That's where our uh, general hospital is, where we provide OR, emergency care, all services. Um, And then we have six nursing stations, six remote nursing stations, two of which are supported with nursing staff by Health Canada and the rest are primarily Winnebago.
0: Can you tell me about some of the goals of your organization um, when it comes to care?
2: Our goal is to provide care as close to home as possible, whether that be at the local level, regional level, um, and then, of course, our referral centers, our tertiary care centers. So we like to try to keep as much of the care flow within the region um, that we can. and, And when we can't, then we certainly have to refer out.
0: So when it comes to Operation Remote Immunity, can you tell me why it was so important for us to prioritize the communities you serve? So it's incredibly important
2: for all of the communities um, in the James and Hudson Bay Coast, as well as Nan West, uh, to receive the vaccines because, A, we are generally more vulnerable and more sick um, in comparison to our southern uh, our southern partners, as well as we lack the health infrastructure um, that is in place and accessible, uh, again, to our southern partners. And the housing Situation in all of our communities is very, very sparse. So we have multiple families living in one household. So there's a lot of congregated living, um, as well as the issues with, you know, water in each community, not being able to drink the water, um, hygiene. So we knew that uh, we had to buckle down and lock down quite quickly because we knew if COVID was ever to hit any of our remote communities, it would essentially spread like wildfire because. We have so many people um, living in each household, um, and not having access to healthcare in, in every community was a huge risk for us. We have very unique uh, logistical challenges, um, such as you know the spring in, the spring flood for the community of Kisashawan, the remoteness factor, um, and then again being fly-in only which is why we wanted to ensure, you know, we advocated to get the vaccines as soon as possible to make sure we could protect our people.
0: When the pandemic was declared, how did it impact your organization? And what did your organization do to adapt to ensure you're able to effectively and safely serve your community?
2: Once the pandemic was declared in March of last year, uh, we worked with all of the First Nations communities and their pandemic groups to ensure that we were adhering to the wishes of, of each individual community, as well as making sure that we had guidelines in place to ensure that A, we kept the hospital running and B, we were able to provide uh, as much care as we could without interruption and also enhancing our virtual care capabilities along the James and Hudson Bay coast. We did have a quite an enhanced virtual care program, whether that be through OTN or other means, but we just had to, to bump it up quite significantly to ensure we we're meeting the needs of everyone, um, especially with regards to primary care and follow-up.
0: What are some of the changes you made?
2: So there was a lot of operational uh, demands and changes that we had to make within the first
0: couple of weeks of uh,
2: initiating our incident command center. Um, to ensure that we were meeting uh, not only the ministry requirements, but the requirements of our community because we are unique. So what we did is we basically went into lockdown and shut services for three months, um, except for what could be provided virtually. We went from having all kinds of entrances to the hospital to just having the one entrance for all visitors and one entrance for staff. As well as the screening protocols and extra screeners to ensure that people were be, anybody coming into the building was being screened, and that only people working in the building or that were approved to come in as an escort to a patient under special special circumstances were able to come into the to the building. But there were a lot of restrictions that we had to uh, put in place in all of our sites to ensure that we were keeping. community safe and keeping all of our healthcare staff safe.
0: So when Operation Remote Immunity was initiated how was Winnebago involved in the process?
2: Initially the call out or the meetings were with Nan and then we were looped in uh, with Orange and I know Dr. Tian very well uh, so it was an easy transition to move into that task task team table uh, to ensure that we were able to meet the needs of the community. And as far as the planning stages go, making sure that our rollout was tailored to each community to ensure we had a good uptake and we were able to get into the community with the appropriate resources in a timely fashion.
0: So when it came to each community, what was the process to ensure members were aware of the initiative as well as to um, ensure an increased uptake of the vaccine?
2: So we had our communications team um, prepare multiple newsletters, um, as well as using Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, as well as the local community channels, uh, the local radio stations. We had our community relations specialist on several times a week, and we had it replaying in both English and Cree to ensure that we were meeting the needs of, of everyone. Um, especially our elders because they had a little bit of a, a decreased uptake initially um, but once we were able to get all of the misinformation curved and provide the appropriate information in a language they understood um, we saw an increase in the uptake for the
0: uh, Moderna vaccine. So talking about misinformation and hesitancy how is that addressed?
2: Initially, there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy along the James and Hudson Bay coast. And, and naturally, um, our people felt that, you know, we they didn't want to repeat history. They didn't want the colonial system and residential school, etc. Um, so it was very important for them to have all of the information and to ensure that they, in fact, were not guinea pigs. So Dr. Tian and I um, spent a lot of time with each community uh, meeting with each respective chief and council as well as their health directors to ensure we were answering all of the questions and we were translating that over into Cree to ensure that the elders that couldn't speak or read were able to at least listen to it. Um, so we we worked hand in hand with Orange to ensure that the misinformation was curbed and and we explained to the elders, that you know it was safe, and we weren't, in fact, the guinea pigs, and that there was thirty thousand people in the clinical trial who were the guinea pig, guinea pigs. So it was a lesson lesson learned um, from our neighbors in the states to uh, have a successful and safe rollout here in uh, Northern James and Hudson Bay.
0: I also heard you were working with community leaders as well.
2: Yeah, so what we did is we identified either leaders or an elder or somebody that, you know, was very passionate about getting the vaccine and that could spread the good word um, in each community. So every community we went to, um, we ensured that, you know, the chief was there and and we dialogued with the chief and we recorded a message and then we replayed it on our website and on our Facebook So people had access to that all the time. Um, I also went up as part of the vaccination team um, to provide some local support and familiarity along the James and Hudson Bay coast. And it was really important for us when working with Orange to ensure that, you know, our local teams were just as much a part of the rollout uh, as Orange, because we felt that the uptake would be a lot better with local, local healthcare providers and local health human resources Um, to be able to provide the vaccines to the people they serve.
0: Can you tell me a bit about the resources, specifically when it came to language or translation?
2: We have a um, community relations um, officer, a community relations specialist, who is an elder in our region, a well-respected elder that travels alongside uh, myself and the ORI uh, rollout uh, to ensure that there was no gaps in communication We also sent all of the information ahead of time in the appropriate dialect uh, to ensure that the chief and council, the community members, uh, the community health representatives had that information well in advance before we actually arrived with the vaccines.
0: And I understand there are different dialects for the communities you serve? There's two different
2: dialects along the James and Hudson Bay Coast. Um, There's the L and the N dialect.
0: So... I heard you traveled with each vaccination team to all the communities. How was that?
2: So, I participated in every single uh, mission for every single community. Um, I didn't get to hit every community for dose number two, but I did for all dose
0: number ones. Wow. So, these were big missions. It sounds like a lot of work. It is. <laughs> it's an incredible amount of work.
2: So, the first community we started with was Piawanik because okay. it was the furthest away. So that that's along the Hudson Bay coast. And then we moved down to Kisashawan. And then we went over to Attawapiskat and then Fort Albany and then Moose Factory and Moosini.
0: Was there anything you had to adjust or adapt when it came to offering vaccinations within each community?
2: So because we had multiple meetings, uh, multiple virtual meetings, as well as recce flights to ensure a couple of days in advance, we were able to um, step foot into the communities and ensure that the clinics were set up appropriately. Um, because we ha- all of that preparation went in far in advance. It was pretty much a seamless, seamless transition once we arrived in each community. Mm-hmm. And each community is very different. Some places we were in gyms, some places we were in community health centers, and sometimes um, because we kicked our rollout off. Uh, the first week of January, we did all of our long-term care patients in our three hospital sites. So we were able to work out a few kinks and certainly have some lessons learned from each smaller rollout uh, before we had the mass clinics.
0: Can you tell me how your team ensured that everyone who wanted a vaccine was able to get it?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So what we did is we had, you know, booked appointments, we had walk-ins, we also had home visits. So we were very flexible, as well as for people that weren't in the community, we made sure that there was plans A, B and C for them uh, to ensure that they were able to get their vaccines as well. Um, We did about 10 home visits in each community, um, which was great, because then we're minimizing the amount of exposure and travel for, for our elders and knowledge keepers in each
0: community. And is there anything that you think would be important to share about health equity or any insights or key learnings that happened throughout the mission?
2: You know, I, I think um, there's a few things. One, with, with regards to health equity, there was a lot of physicians um, on all of the teams and a lot of allied health support when they came to the community they they immediately fell in love with every community and they didn't actually realize um that we existed and that there was disparities in northern remote Ontario that they didn't know existed so a lot of them had said you know I do work in Africa I do work overseas and I didn't realize this was happening in my own backyard so there was a lot of room for learning a lot of room for growth and future opportunities for having some of these specialists in allied health to come in and, so, and help support us as we move forward. As the partnerships on the local level and the regional level, um, we've developed a very strong relationship with universities as well as with Orange and um, ensuring that you know from an acute care perspective from the vaccine rollout, we're all working together and integrating into one system so we are able to meet the needs of the communities and the region
0: that's some really great insight Lynn um I just want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me about how covid as well as operation remote immunity has impacted the community you serve
2: it was uh, certainly an, an honor and a pleasure to be able to um, bring the bring the moderna vaccine to all of to all of our communities and to be a part of the the vaccine team.
0: If you'd like to learn more about the Winnebago Area Health Authority, feel free to visit their website at waha.ca. W A H A. C A. So, we were able to learn about ORI and how it was rolled out along the James Bay and Hudson Bay coast, which is northeastern Ontario. Um, up next, we're going to go to northwestern Ontario to Summer Beaver. We're going to talk about setting up vaccination clinics from the ground up with community coordinator Cynthia Yellowhead. Hey, Cynthia. Um, thanks for talking to me. Do you mind introducing yourself and in your role?
3: Uh, my name is Cynthia Yophead. I'm from Nibinamek First Nation, and I am the Community Vaccine Coordinator for Nibimamek.
0: So, during our conversation, Cynthia taught me the proper enunciation of summer beaver, which is Nibimamek. Nibinamek? Nibin
3: Amik. Niben. The Nibin is summer.
0: Cynthia grew up in Nibinamek.
3: I grew up in the community and um or actually taught um a lot of traditional things as we're going through school as well. I speak Ojikri, so I'm able to speak to the elders and the young people in either.
0: Can you tell me a bit about Nibimimik, how I would be able to visit, um, and maybe a bit about the landscape and the people there?
3: Um, We live by a lake, um, and um, we're only accessible by by a plane half of the year, and we have a winter road that's um, usually built around December, we were able to use that until March. It has about over 300 residents on reserve and about maybe around 200, give or take.
0: So, before you were asked to be a coordinator with Operation Remote Immunity, what was your role?
3: Before all this, I worked in health and was um, a family resource outreach worker and a crisis coordinator, and I moved on to um, chief and council executive and other jobs, and um, the crisis coordinator part came in handy with this position, and I was able to adapt quickly and plan accordingly to whatever came up with the vaccination
0: rollout. Can you tell me a bit about the process of developing a vaccine clinic where Nabimimic community members would receive their vaccine?
3: Um, in the beginning, it was just a drawing um, that I took to the chief and council to review and to see if that was how they wanted it built. And the Canadian Rangers... Um, They have all these skill sets they bring to the team. And um, we built a field hospital inside the gym. We built it within two days. Uh, We just took our time building it, make it work with how we saw our vision.
0: So how did that vision change and adapt over time?
3: Um, Every time somebody walked in, the vision just got bigger and bigger, and we just added on. We custom-built our setup inside the gym. Um, We made an office area and three stations and um, a first aid area and an isolation area. And we had uh, all the windows covered and a private entrance. And um, how the people would walk in and sit down From each station to station, we had three stations set up. There was another entrance where you can go out of. We had two drivers to bring them in, then another driver to drive them home after the inoculations. We didn't really have anybody walk during that first rollout.
0: What was the reason behind that?
3: Um, Just to keep with. Keep up with the time and our scheduling.
0: That makes sense. Can you tell me a bit about the team you worked with and their roles and their responsibilities?
3: Um, I had two translators and a, and a scheduling coordinator, and the rangers did the transportation part of it. Um, there was three drivers in total, and they took turns organizing themselves to drive people there and back.
0: You mentioned a scheduling coordinator. Can you tell me a bit about the importance of their role?
3: Um, Kelma was my first hire to work with the vaccination rollout, and she had really good skill set as a scheduler, and she went out there that first rollout like a week before to sign up people who were ready to be signed up and I i am really really thankful that she messaged me that within that first half hour that I posted that I needed somebody to help me with scheduling and appointments and um, she did a great job on the second rollout and She was constant and was um, really good at communicating with all the incoming people that were coming to get their second or their first dose.
0: Okay, cool. So take me to the first day of vaccinations. How did that start?
3: Um, The first day we met with the vaccination team that morning. Then we had the chief and counsel come in and... um, there was an opening prayer by the re- local reverend um, and did the blessing ceremony of the vaccination for the week.
0: Can you tell me a bit more about that?
3: Um, it's mainly what we do in our community. We always have a blessing and a prayer but done by either an elder or a church member. Um, In this case, we had uh, Reverend Georgina Anishinaabe do the blessing of the vaccines and to have a good vaccination rollout week.
0: Okay, so what happened next?
3: And then uh, the first three council members were vaccinated. And then we opened it up to the essential workers. Then the community members after that, um, each day that's how it went. Um, whoever was willing to be vaccinated was ready. Um, it was everyone's choice.
0: Okay, so I know everyone who was vaccinated signed up. They had registration forms, etc. But was there anything else you found helpful in ensuring that everyone was able to be communicated with or vaccinated? I used a map
3: to cross off houses that came in as a household. And I was able to Mm -hmm. keep up with that throughout the four days that we did the vaccinations. Just for my Mm -hmm. reference and the team leader's reference, like who we have vaccinated so far. That was a time saver for us.
0: Can you talk a bit about promoting awareness about the vaccines?
3: Uh, We did a lot of um, black radio outreach program with the vaccinators. And um, one of the translators worked with the vaccination team and the local community doctor with um, home visits. To bring awareness with the vaccination period if they had any questions or concerns. And I had one other translator that stayed with us in the gym and she was able to work with anyone that needed um, help with translating and filling out their registration forms.
0: So can you tell me a bit about the second vaccine a month later? This one was different, right?
3: The second, we had to adjust a lot more. We were aware that COVID would be coming to our community at some point in the future, but we just didn't know when or how soon that would be. And, um, And then suddenly we had positive cases in between the first and second vaccination. And it was imperative to have our vaccinations done on the second rollout.
0: Okay, so at that point, Nibimamik was under lockdown.
3: We went on lockdown on March 2. um, And I tried to get the team ready. And um, everyone was scared to do this.
0: So what did you do next?
3: To the positive cases, um, just to minimize people having to go outside of their own um, bubble. Like we had them drive up to do a drive through vaccination and um, either to walk over or drive their studio to be vaccinated in a tent outside of the school gym.
0: So how were you able to coordinate the creation of the new drive through clinic under lockdown?
3: Paul and I Paul Oskanigish. Um Paul is the sergeant for Summer Beaver. We communicated a lot over the phone and on the Facebook messenger, and he showed me a picture of how the vaccination would go, and we spoke about uh, having a drive-through vaccination and um, having a tent set up, and um, they did that on Sunday and he sent me a picture of how it would go, and I agreed that that's how we should do it.
0: You mentioned that your team was a bit scared. What did you do to mitigate this fear?
3: We had um, really low numbers for staff within our community. And then we had um, COVID rapid testing then, which was available for us from the Orange team and um We provided our testing that morning, that first morning, before the vaccinations began. And we were able to bring up our trust levels within our team that were working with the vaccination. And um, it alleviated my trust with all the people that I would work with. And I was able to focus on the task at hand more.
0: Well, that's great. So I heard the second round went really well.
3: We were able to do the all the second dose people within three days instead of five. And we added on um, almost 30 people for the first dose on the second rollout, which was um, surprising for me. So I wasn't expecting that much new people.
0: What was the overall total after the second round?
3: Um, in total I counted eighty three percent were in a
0: so according to the community approximately eighty three percent of eligible members received the Moderna vaccination. What a wonderful uptake just wanted to give a special thanks to Cynthia for taking the time out to chat with me. If you'd like to learn more about Nabimamek feel free to visit summerbeaver.com. That's S-U-M-M-E-R-B-E-A-V-E-R.com. Up next, we move even more north to Fort Severin. We speak to Captain Brian Crow, who is not only a pilot with Orange, but a community member from Fort Severin. We were able to catch up and discuss how he became a pilot with Orange, as well as his role on the team for ORI in his hometown. So, meet Brian Crow, PC12 captain. Um, so, Brian, what made you decide to become a pilot?
1: It was um, it was a childhood dream of mine, to be a pilot. I was probably around know, six or seven years old. My dad took me to the airport, and we and I saw an old an easy three plane land, the cargo plane up in Fort Severn. I still remember this day, that, that evening, I made a plane out of the Coach Cushion.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. Knowing your calling from such a young age, what did it take for your dream to become a reality?
1: Uh, during high school, I the counselors I told me what I needed to have for, uh, to continue on to college. So I, so I took all my uh, math courses and physics. One of them was physics and all of my English courses. And uh, I went off to college after high school.
0: So uh, me and Brian chatted. He told me that he spent time working on float planes and gaining flight hours throughout various jobs. He even took some time off and lived in Fort Severn, where he was elected as deputy chief.
1: And going back to the community, those two years, like. I deputy chief. Um, I was happy to be back, and I was doing stuff. that I grew up doing like hunting, fishing, and just being around uh, family and friends again.
0: So, when did you start working with Orange?
1: Around 2009, that's when uh, Orange was starting up with their uh, fixed-wing planes. And, uh, and I really wanted to. Uh, be a part of, uh, Orange, you know. I, uh, I applied, and I got hired, hired on in November, 2009, and, uh, I enjoy it every day.
0: Do you find that with your current role as a PC-12 captain at Orange, um, that you get calls to go into Fort Severin?
1: I do, um, um we do a lot of uh, remote flying communities. While I'm on shift, I would get the uh, Fort Severn call, which uh, I'm happy to do, uh, and I get to uh, see a bit of family and friends when I'm there for that short uh, turnaround time. My dad usually comes up and says hi.
0: And so, you have the opportunity to work on Operation Remote Immunity, um, not as a pilot but as an administration staff on the team, what did you think about the way it was organized?
1: It was very, uh, I was uh, very honored to be, be part of the team, the Orange team, the vaccination team that went up to Fort Severn the organizers of the Operation Remote Manity did, did really well and uh, Orange dropped together you well, know, really good teams and uh, they as well put together um, it, uh, when I joined the team there we did training the first day um, before uh, flying up to the community uh, we flew in from silicon uh, and it took an hour and 45 minutes each way and uh, during during our week there we uh, the plane stayed with stayed in Fort Denver and waited for us until we were done our uh, vaccinations each day, and we flew back to silico Then we uh, did did it again and flew back in in the morning. Yeah, it was uh, five days of uh, being up there. I enjoyed being there, and was uh, very happy to be part of the team, vaccination team.
0: And what was your role as a min? What what kind of duties did you have?
1: And I was... Uh, helping out with the uh handing out information through door to door in the community uh there were uh rangers that are from the community there that helped the help the vaccination team and also the other other uh, community members that were there helping out with uh the screening and uh, the admin work and, uh, we uh, came together and uh
0: can you tell me how this role uh with operation remote immunity was different from your day-to-day work with orange
1: uh it was uh different from our uh, regular routine when i'm on shift but working uh when i go to the community it's mainly for uh, like uh going in there to uh medevac somebody that needs medical attention to bigger centers um but this role with the vaccination we we go in there and then we we go in there for for the, for something good to help the community with the vaccination um doing that that uh it was really i felt like i was uh, doing something good to the community okay. is where i'm from when i'm giving back to the community uh, where I grew up. I was very happy to be part of the team during that vaccination week.
0: Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me, Brian. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Very honored and happy to be back in my home community and to be uh, able to be there helping out.
0: So it was great to explore the vaccination efforts in Northern Ontario. I really enjoyed hearing from the people who worked hard to ensure that members from fly-in and remote Indigenous communities were able to receive the vaccines that they needed. On Tuesday, March 23rd, Dr. Homer Tian, Orange President and CEO, attended the Nishnawawi-Ashki Nation's Virtual Chiefs Assembly. Orange joined seven other organizations in the signing of Relationship Accords to improve healthcare across NAND Territory. The signing of this accord speaks to Orange's commitment to health and our continued efforts to provide inclusive and culturally appropriate healthcare. We look forward to working with our partners at NAN and the Ministry of Health towards this goal. Feel free to read the full statement on the NAN website. That's www.nan.ca. In our next episode, we'll be following one team, Team Six, and hear a bit about their specific journey um, and how they overcame a number of challenges to deliver the vaccine uh, to the community of Kasechewan. I'm Rachel Scott, and this is Orange Pulse. This podcast could not have been completed without help from staff on Team Orange. More importantly, Operation Remote Immunity was only possible due to the collaboration from a number of partners, the Winnebago Area Health Authority, the Sioux Lookout First Nations Health Authority, Indigenous Services Canada, the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, Queen's University, the University of Toronto, Northern Paramedic Services, the Porcupine Health Unit, the Thunder Bay District Health Unit, the Northwestern Health Unit, the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, the Canadian Red Cross, the Rangers, and many more.